listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 88. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Rachel Bassignani, executive coach and founder of Catalyst, to talk about her approach in coaching corporate athletes in the areas of leadership development, organizational development, mindset development, and conflict management. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, Grant. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome on this uh, fine Saturday morning and really excited to talk to you uh, and learn about your mindset as an executive coach and some other things that you're getting into. And I'm just really excited to have you on my show today. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and I always enjoy our conversation. So I'm sure this will be um, right up there. And I've been loving your book, The Next One Up Mindset. And uh I'm excited to share what I have from the executive coaching world. All right. I appreciate that very much. And thanks for the uh, the kind plug there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's an easy one. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, yeah. let, let's get this thing started. You know, one of my favorite topics is um, mental toughness. And, and I know you've done a lot of work within the workplace and worked with all levels of professionals. But when it comes to mental toughness, uh, what does mentally tough mean to you in the workplace? Well, I think at the end of the day, and you know, I, I bear in mind that I do the majority of my work in really high growth, early stage technology companies in the Valley. So um, I think this varies for everyone, but I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I was uh, on a flight once and I, uh, we hit probably really dramatic turbulence and the store just said, I'll dip down in the aisle. And at one point she looks up at me from the aisle and she says, don't worry, if the plane didn't bend, it would break. And um, that was both uh, disheartening and reassuring at the same time. And I, I've really never forgotten it though. And, and we see the same kind of mentality in trees and things like that, right? So I guess at the end of the day, when I compare this, I think of mental toughness as flexibility, right? And a lot of our resilience and a lot of our toughness actually comes from being able to be flexible, to be agile, to be adaptive, right? And um, a lot of my leaders in these high growth companies, every phase of growth and development is going to require a new mindset, a new skill set, a new perspective, and a new willingness to adapt to what the needs of the organization are for mm, them. Totally. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, and I know you shared a little bit of a story there, but I mean, can you share a story where either you had to be mentally tough or you had to coach somebody to be mentally tough? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we, you know, the thing I see most often are that, you know, people need coaching around or hard conversation, right? And so conflict is difficult for all of us. And there's a reason it's difficult because we are hardwired to be, you know, social darlings, to be accepted by our tribe and to survive in that capacity. And so when it comes time to having hard conversations, to being ourselves, being authentic, to, um, you know, advocating for our needs or our perspective, this is, you know, these are mindsets that become really hard for folks to get in the game because the amygdala will fire up it will try to shut you down, right. fight, 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 flight, or freeze. And so 
you know, I think that there's this element of having to really override a fundamental survival skill of yourself in order to thrive. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's this willingness to take risk and there's also strategy involved in that. How do I want to frame this conversation? How do I want to put myself out there? Do I have the skills and tool sets that I need to, you know, engage with this other person or this group of people in a way where I can advocate for my perspective or my needs, but also take into account the needs of the environment as well as the group. Yeah. You, you know, it, you bring something up because I, I say this all the time when it comes to fear of, of you know, dealing with conflict and I call it the, the mm-hmm. talk. It's like when you have to deal yeah. with something, you know, it's that hard yeah. conversation that you're making up, you're making up all this story and it's, it literally will take a couple of minutes, maybe five, 10 minutes, typically, you know, depending on what the, the, the context is of the situation. But we, we get so fearful of the outcome. We start like getting into the what ifs and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And man, if you just lean into your fear and, and, and trust yourself, and I know there's more to it, but if you just, the faster you lean into it, the faster all that goes away. And I've watched myself and I watched tons of people push out that talk, that conversation, 45 minutes, an hour, a day, a month, mm-hmm. a couple of years, because they're so mm-hmm. fearful of the conflict and they're, and they're creating that story of what it might happen from a fearful standpoint. And it's like, let's come from possibility. Let's, let's get this thing done yeah. now, lean into it, and let's, let's know that there's, there's going to be uh, an opportunity from this crisis. So I think that's, you know, it's very valid of, of what you're bringing up. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just, you know, reflecting on what you were saying, just about how, you know, the conflict and, and the nature of the conflict builds up over time, right? And right. how people kind of run up towards it, and then they back off, and then they run up towards it, and they back off. And over time, we begin to escalate around the conflict. And whether that's person to person, or team to team, and then by the time we're actually dealing with it, we've got a much bigger kind of event that we're kind of managing at that point so you know I think one thing I always tell my clients it's a little cryptic but I believe in it I say if you win at conflict you win at life right and I think we're used to thinking of conflict as um, big blowout fights like contention but at the end of the day conflict is always happening between two people we're always kind of negotiating our needs we're always kind of sharing our perspectives and we're, you know, in organizations, we are looking for resources, we're looking for time, we're looking for attention, we're looking for mentorship, um, we're looking for wins, you know, every person in an organization is to some degree at odds with every other person. And so how do we shift that mindset and make conflict so normalized that having direct and open communication flows freely between the people in the organization and then they have the real tools that they need to engage with one another in a functional and collaborative way. Totally. And I think if, if we learn as performers, we learn because we have our own conflict with, within our own mm-hmm. soul, right? Yes. So, and there's yeah. a lot of, lot of performers out there that are dealing with conflict. They're dealing with the fear of failure. They're dealing with failing in the midst of it. And so that becomes a conflict. And so how do you, mm-hmm. once you can kind of get into the here and now and you can control and, and refocus, then it, I think it makes it makes it easier when you're dealing with a conflict with somebody else because you've already dealt with that conflict or know how to do conflict management, if you will, with yourself. 
yeah, and like when you're you're ta- you're kind of touching on like corporate athletes, you know, athletes in general, what that mindset is, and one of the reasons I picked executive coaching was just because I know that there was an inherent ambition in people like that, an inherent intellectual curiosity, and similarly, you know, I've had to help my clients reframe what winning is, right? Because, and that's also when you talk about pivoting, you'll, you'll see this in athletes as well. And it happened to me really early in my career. I was like a high performing athlete. And then I was asked to coach a team. And um, that transition for me was really dramatic because I was so invested. I was such a high competitor and I didn't know how to work through others to make them better. I knew how to perform myself. And so it really took an adjustment on like, what were the learning styles of everybody on my team? What were the motivation styles of everybody on my team? And how to figure that out to get them optimized for their own behavior. And it was a big transition. And you see that in organizations when star performers become managers for the first time and, you know, formal leaders for the first time. And they really have to shift their mindsets around what winning, what success looks like at that point. Totally. And you know, what? every time I work with a client, when I work with a team, the first session, I typically I'm addressing success management. What is your relationship Mm -hmm. with success? How do you define success? When you fail, Mm -hmm. can you still be successful? You know, and what are some of the things that make you or allow us not to be successful? Because I think that if we're if we're wanting to win and succeed, and if we and if we end up losing and failing, if we don't have a good relationship with the two, and if if we don't have a relationship with the two, they're so far apart. And and yeah. if you're chasing the winning and you're dealing with the failing, it becomes a very big emotional roller coaster ride. And so if mm-hmm. we have a better relationship with winning and succeeding, we just know how we can get the feedback from failure or the feedback from failing, then I think it shortens the, that molt, that roller coaster ride. Um, yeah. And I think it's just, it's just important because we all want to win. We all want to be successful, but we have to fail to be successful. So I always say fail up because we think about failing is downward and winning's upward. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have to succeed and be successful, well then I, you know, below that line of success is failure. So I'm going to go fail up and fail fast and move on. What's our tolerance for failure and what's our tolerance for risk and putting ourselves out there and being willing. And then in, you know, as that adapts into organizational life and executives and teams, we talk similarly about that. It's not that we fail, but what is the postmortem, right? Do we reflect on our failures? What did we learn? Because these are opportunities for us to get more data about how we set the project up, what assumptions did we make, um, what things did we miss? You know, how could we have done better? And what that does is make better informed decisions going forward. And so we can't have a lot of ego involved if we really, really want to be an innovative, you know, tolerant, risk tolerant yeah. organization or team. And it reminds me similarly, what you're saying is that, and I kind of back to mental toughness is like mental toughness is almost like the willingness to, and this is maybe dipping Brene Brown level, but where vulnerability exists is like, Are you willing to be in a new mindset? Are you willing to be in failure? Are you willing to be in a new behavior or toolkit, even when it's not comfortable for you and it's not your dominant mode, but are you willing to try it on if you think it might be the best thing for your team or organization? So like when I was an athlete, my coach used to always say, like when we were learning a new technique or something of that nature, 
uh, I had a coach who would always say, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And that really always stuck with me. Like, oh, of course, like if I'm going to shift my thumb or move my feet in a different way, then that's not going to feel comfortable at first. And I'm actually going to get worse than mm. staying in my bad habits, right? And it's going to feel uncomfortable. But if I'm willing to stick with that discomfort and that, that ding to my performance for a while, if I can get that new technique down, eventually I'm going to be better than I was before. Yep, for sure. And, you know, and I'll, I'll quote a little bit, Brene Brown. Um, you know, I love talking about vulnerability. Uh, I just do. And, and I think it's, it's not, it's not about being weak. It's about being strong, but she, she mm -hmm. basically says vulnerability is if you're, if you're being vulnerable, you're being courageous. And if you're being courageous, yeah. then you're being brave. And cause there, there are some times, man, when you need to show up in the moment and step into it, man, when you are vulnerable, man, you're courageous and then you become brave. Like who doesn't want that? And, and it feels good when you're in that space, but it's scary as hell, um, yeah. you know, to initiate that, to be vulnerable and to act on it. Yeah. Yeah. She said something to me recently, well, not to me, but in her talk, <laughs> right. um, which was get in the arena, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're in the arena and you're out there putting yourself out there and you're exposed, that's vulnerability, right? Like, caring and trying make you vulnerable because you're just going to be out there kind of feeling around in the dark sometimes but guess what not everybody is willing to do that and that's what like rock stars are made of and I think that at the end of the day when we do that when we take our step when we put ourselves out there what happens is we give permission to others to do the same thing and it, I would say like there's a training that I'm in called the human element and we talk about it's openness right at the end of the day openness creates really good cultures it creates healthy innovation it creates reciprocal disclosure it creates trust and i'll notice in team dynamic work with with executives that if the executive who happens to be the most open goes first in the group share the rest of the group share is very vulnerable very open but yeah. if the first executive to go is one that's a little bit more political or closed or reluctant or hesitant that perpetuates right right and so we have to take it upon ourselves to be willing we have to really look at like what's the dynamic in the organization or the leadership that i'm trying to create and hold myself accountable to that even when it's uncomfortable because i know that it's important for everyone else around me totally absolutely and that and that's kind of a, an interesting perspective you know because i i do i do see that i've seen that in my experience when I was in corporate America for almost 20 years, where when someone opens up and they have that openness, that vulnerability, that, that energy, it, it allows mm -hmm. everyone else, it creates a tempo and a rhythm for people to feel more comfortable to share. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I've seen that. I've seen people that are a little bit more um, short and their energy is a little cut off. And, and then it kind of like it doesn't open the door for the rest of the team for the most part. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting. I, I like that. I like that, uh, that point of view. Um, considering how much you've done, you've been in, in tons of different environments and tons of different companies. Do you see, is there a theme that you see within the businesses that you're working with that, that you've had a coach on? And if so, like what are some of the approaches and strategies that you implement? Um, gosh, again, I, I mean, this is a thing. I think, when we come down to it, like openness is mission critical. So being really open about what, what our needs are, our perspectives are, what we find challenging in the organization. And I think that that 
there is this myth that the farther up the chain you go, the least you're allowed, the less you're allowed to fail, uh, have insecurities, be learning and growing, right? Like there's this expectation that you're supposed to know it all. And sometimes that affects decision-making, which trickles down throughout the organization because people don't understand how decisions are getting made, how priorities are getting reworked, how all of this is happening. And it's almost as if sometimes our senior, senior leaders forget what it's like to be in that mid-layer of the organization. And so fundamentally, one of the things that we really work on is openness, transparency, but overall communication. What's the quality of our communication? And um, reminding each other that, especially in a lot of companies like this, you have everyone on your team from the IC level to the C level is PhD and MIT, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, master's degrees, yep. like they're some of the most highly educated, hardworking, ambitious people, no matter what level of the organization they're at. And so we have to respect that these are people who need to know the why. And that happens from a decision-making level all the way up to the vision for the company and what we're trying to accomplish. And that's just mission critical to keeping people, you know, united, engaged, um, supportive and all that type of stuff. So I can't ever stress enough the amount of work that happens um, on executive teams for executives around communication and transparency. And then that dips into both behaviors as well as systems in the organization. So we do a lot of work around that stuff. Awesome. And we're going to get into to coaching behaviors and all that in a second. But before we do that, I want to get into your mindset as an executive coach. So when you're doing this kind of work, and you're dealing with all levels, especially C-level um, executives. What kind of mindset do you have to have to be an executive coach? And what is the most challenging thing that you have to deal with? Um, well, first, the most challenging thing you always have to deal with is ego, right? Um, and that's fine. Like there's a moment in any human-to-human interaction where we come up against each other with our our personas, our ego, our facade. And so knowing that you're going to meet that um, to some degree in any person you meet, let alone, you know, very successful executives. And I think one of the common themes that I hear is my CEO doesn't believe he needs a coach, doesn't think he needs a coach. They think coaching is just for people with issues or problems or whatever that might be. And that's just really ego driven. And um, so that, that, that's the hardest thing I come up against. Um, at the end of the day, I think what I ask of myself as a coach and what is required of me as a coach is something that I ask of my clients as well, which is intellectual curiosity, agility, being present, um, a willingness to be as agile as possible. So it's my job as a coach to meet each one of my clients where they're at and to have the range and toolkit in order to be able to do that. Got it. Yeah, that that's cool. You, you know, it's um, it's funny when you think about that whole just stigma of if you need coaching, you know, you have a problem, um, mm-hmm. or we don't need coaching because there's no problem. Whatever it is, and I don't know about you, but you know, I think all of us have something. I don't care how when things are thriving, we're still dealing with some shit, and yeah. there's. There's a, um, a basketball player, an NBA basketball player. His name is Kevin Love. And I think it was like a year or two ago. I he love wrote, him. Yeah, yeah. He, wrote, he wrote a letter about, <laughs> it was a mental health letter, but it was about, mm-hmm. we, we, all, we all are going through something. We're dealing with something. And I think, to be honest with you, I kind of think everybody needs a coach. 
Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we're here, I believe, as humans to to connect and to share our energy. And and if that's to me, if if that's what we're here to do is to create community and energy and share love and all that good stuff. I mean, it sounds foofy, but to me, it doesn't. It seems real and it seems right that we're all going to go through some stuff. So why not be there for each other or why not coach each other? So I don't know. Sometimes when I hear that, it's like, oh, if you're if you need coaching, that means there's something wrong. And I don't know. You don't have to be yeah, sick to get help. You know. Well, I think that that's kind of really old mentality yeah. on coaching as well, because I think that you know, coaching is coming so much into the mainstream right now because the benefits are just so obvious. And sometimes I go nuts with people saying, "What's the ROI? What's the yeah. ROI?" And I just like, do you go to therapy and ask yourself what the ROI is? Do you go to the gym and ask yourself what the ROI is? Um, not necessarily, but they've really put this question on coaching um, because it's a huge investment. And sometimes we can't always quantitatively measure soft skills improvement or the mental health that comes with having a coach, right? And I always say sometimes coaching is a lot of things. It's strategic bandwidth. It's development, it's mitigating blind spots, it's improving mental health, it's creating better communication styles. And I think there's this myth that you're going to come up, you start hit your director level, your VP level, your C level, and that who you are as a human is just going to naturally gravitate with all those. And it doesn't, it takes work and it takes perspective and, and that's just growth mindset, right? Right. Um, so I agree. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, it's a phenomenal thing. And I think what people, the thing I've like really struggled with is the word coaching because it already freaks people out. They go, they feel like they're going to get told what to do. And this is comes into the second thing in executive coaching. They want to know, um, oh, do you have a corporate background? Were you a VP? Like, did you have the same background as I did? And they don't, they think that you're going to come in to tell them how to do something better or differently versus your job is to come in to help them create a thinking environment where they can do their own job better. Right. So right, right. I, there's a difference between process consulting and content consulting and coaches are process expertise and we're there to help people, you know, shift mindsets, think differently and solve their own problems. Totally. In a way that they might not have if left to their own devices. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get it all the time too. Like whether if it's in athletics or in the workplace, you know, they'll ask me like, "Well, have you worked with this this sport before? Have you worked with this vertical <laughs> before?" And I tell them, yeah. "I'm like, it doesn't matter." And they look at me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Because I'm not necessarily here to work with lacrosse players. I'm not here to work with high tech individual. I'm here to actually enhance the performer." So when it comes yep. to performing, we all deal with thoughts, we all do emotions, we body language. I mean, we can keep on going. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to hit on. If I can actually get to the core of that in, inside the performer, it doesn't matter if you're a lacrosse player or if you're in high tech. I'm I'm going to get inside that performer. So it's it's yep. it's it's interesting. And also, you bring up the word ROI because obviously, being in sales for 17 years, I, I've you know you hear that all the time ROI, and and I throw out. When people start talking about ROI, I talk about return on intention. What is your return on intention? And if you are being intentional and connecting it with your breath every day, I think you're creating the mindset that you want within the goals that you want to achieve. So I love I love playing words on on the ROI because it's um 
It's not about the investment. Your investment is, is your intention and your intention is going to give you a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about this too. Like if you are, you know, as a coach being asked that question, which is a, a fair question, right? You're making significant investments, but I like the, even asking leaders, what's your intention, right? Is your intention to get what more out of people to get, more, you know, like yeah. more retention to get them more support? Like, how are you going to quantify that at the end of the day? Right. Totally. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not an easy question, but I really, really like your framing. It's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, let's talk about teams, you know, when developing high functioning teams, uh, what kind of behaviors are you addressing? And ultimately, like, what does the the end result look like? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think at the end of the day, the base foundation for a high-functioning team is trust. I think that the behaviors look like open communication, direct communication, healthy conflict, um, healthy um, sense of accountability. Like, people feel safe to hold each other accountable. And on high function teams, we try to make all of this really explicit. And one thing that we coach around is, A, we get into team dynamic work and we want to create a certain amount of self-awareness and then team awareness. So it's like, oh, I'm this, you're that. I'm like this and you're like that. That's where these, you know, all kinds of assessments that are out there help us to create some objectivity and language around our preferences and default styles. And then what we do from there is we say, okay, we've used these tools to create more openness. Now that we're open about who we are, how do, can we be explicit in not being rigid about who we are, but being a little bit flexible? How do we negotiate our needs? Mm. We'll, take a basic, we'll take a basic kind of example is you've been partnered up with, you're an extrovert and you've been, you love to collaborate. You've been partnered up with an introvert and they love focus time alone collaboration is exhausting for them and you're pushing on them every day to like connect talk think brainstorm and they are just <laughs> retreating retreating right, right and when those things aren't really explicit we make up stories about each other we all oh so and so doesn't like me or doesn't talk or is this or and then we talk oh so and so just always want to talk all the time you know all this stuff so we try to make it explicit and then we try to help people negotiate if there's some differences in your style preference personality how do you guys talk openly about that and then kind of find your happy zone, so to speak? I always look at two humans as like their own Venn diagram, like they're whole <laughs> people, but at some degree, they're expected to overlap, right? And right. so what do we do in that kind of overlapping zone to optimize the output that we need to get? Totally. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Now, leadership, you do a lot of leadership coaching as well. What do you think... Yeah, this question gets thrown around a lot. Uh, do you think leadership is something that you're born with or do you think that leaders are made? I think very few people are just natural born leaders. And I think it all, I want to take that back a little bit. It really depends on how we are going to define leadership, right? Um, and that has been defined differently in every organization, every team, every phase of, you know, leadership fad, whether that's, you know, used to be this dominant, you know, boisterous style. Now it's in some circles, it's a really intellectual, heady, you know, um, empathetic style. And some people in some cultures, it's a very personable style, relationship driven style. And so I think how things, 
how leadership gets defined in any vertical industry team group organization is just very different. And so that's like a little bit tough to say, but I do believe that like there are natural born leaders in the world and you might take a natural born leader who's been in an organization and been really, really successful because that's just their style, but they might go into their next organization and be failing because that style isn't conducive to the culture. And so then what does that person have to do? They have to become more agile in how they're going to show up. So I believe it's a little bit of both. I think all people at every level of an organization have leadership skills and potential. And I think great leaders and aspiring leaders really put in the time and work to understand what leadership style is required of them in every relationship or role or organization. And then they work on it. Yeah. Totally. I, I agree on that hundred percent. And I, I think I agree with this. I, I think everyone has the ability to be a leader and there's, there's been multiple teams that I've worked with in the past where when I'm asking who the leaders are and there's only like a few of them that are like, are the captains or, or they're the seniors of the team. And I asked the rest of people and I'm like, why didn't you guys raise your hands? And they're like, well, we're not a leader. And I'm like, well, why? And it's, it's because it comes to a rank or a title to them. And I think leadership is a choice. And so, mm-hmm. and I asked them, I'm like, do you guys lead your thoughts and emotions through your performances or through life? And they had nod their head. I'm like, well, you just have, that's leadership of the mind. So if you're mm-hmm. leading your mind and your body, why, why can't you be a leader? And so yeah. breaking it down, you know, peeling the onion a little bit on that. But, and I understand there's different styles. There's, you know, leading by example and there's, you know, vocal leaders and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, but I, I think it's, it's important that, um, as you said, we have to define what, what leadership is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to define it each for ourselves as well. And, um, I love what you do, which is advocating for each person to realize, because even at the, you know, you, this is something you're going to get as an athlete, as an exec, as any of this, at the base fundamental, you have to be a leader in your own life. Totally. <laughs> so you've got to be the one that gets your shoes on in the morning, gets, makes the decision whether you're going to go to the gym or whether you're going to meditate or whether you're going to, you know, have a tough conversation or whether you're going to redesign your life or change your career. And I think people don't give themselves enough credit and don't take enough responsibility mm-hmm. for that as well. For sure. To some degree, sometimes that each of us is a leader. And I want people to really internalize that and feel like people ask what like my mission as a coach is or whatever. And um, I want everyone to have personal accountability in their lives, no matter what level of an organization they sit at, no matter what socioeconomic level they sit at, no matter what education level they sit at. I want them to have dominion over their actions and their choices. Totally. I love that. I love that. It's great. So one more question here before we wrap up, uh, and this is kind of a deep question, but um, when you reflect on your career as an executive coach, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, okay. Um, what have I learned the most about myself? I think I've honestly learned the most about my own depth of curiosity. I've learned a lot about my ability to connect with a broad range of people from different backgrounds, from different levels of, you know, performance, success, um, 
And I've learned about my ability to cultivate deep trust. I've always kind of known that was there, but obviously as like my work allows me to be in a relationship with my clients where there's really deep trust there. Um, it's such a privilege and an honor. So tough to say, I feel like I've learned a lot, but at the end of the day, it really must come down to like, I've learned the most about my ability to support and help others. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's, that's, yeah. I mean, I love asking that question because it's, you know, it allows us to kind of go in and be introspective a little bit and do and reflect and and um and I think what's cool is that you've learned a lot about yourself through this journey and you're gonna learn so much more moving forward and that's the exciting part about I think uh, when we're reflecting and, and looking at you know what we've learned the most about ourselves. Yeah, in in one of the you know fundamentals of the coaching program I went through early on, um, it talks about self management. And self-management means that when you're with your client, you are not thinking about your own agenda, your own life, your own issues, how what they're saying might be triggering you um, or bringing things up or you might be really to any of it. It's just self-management. And so there is a little bit of a tension as an executive coach between I want nothing more than to be useful and effective for my clients. And when I feel that desire kind of rise up for me before a session or a new client or whatever it is, I really have to check that and know that the best way I can be useful and effective for them is to be very present and very curious with them and to hold them to no other, you know, desire other than that they learn more about themselves and that they have more choice when they leave the session and have more empowerment. So um, that's what I say. It's really cool to kind of, be able to want so badly to like do a good job and be a, an effective coach. And at the same time to really have to let go of that mm-hmm. and that letting go of that really serves the client the best. Totally. And yep, I'm with you hundred percent, but it is to me, one of the most beautiful things about what we do is, is when someone's bought in to me, just that like they're bought in and they're taking notes and they're bringing stuff to me to, to work on and they're checking in and, uh, you yeah. know, that I love, but then when you see the development and you see the, the results because of their buy-in, it's like, it, it's just another layer of goodness, you know, and it, it just creates more joy within my job. Now, if someone's not bought in and someone's not doing connect, you know, not connected to the work, that's okay. That's, I have to, I have to be differently and I have to operate differently and do different things to get it going the right direction. But being, doing what we do, it's just, Man, the, my frequency is just off the charts when people are bought in and I see the results of them being bought in. Absolutely. And, you know, there is that, it, it's again, back to that tension because when I see the light bulb go on or they go and have the hard conversation or they advocate for the salary or the, the promotion, you know, or they open themselves up in a meeting and, and they come back and they talk about it, like there's just like no greater joy <laughs> than like, seeing your client go out and like kick ass but um and then they go sorry about that but they go oh thank you Rachel you know and I'm like dude you did all the work like it is so hard to like do the work and so I feel mostly proud that they even like picked up the tool and went and applied it and got the results that they wanted because that's where all the magic happens and that's just my great joy right there because we could sit and talk all day and explore and do these kinds of things but really seeing people go out and put you know things 
into action that they've learned or realized or want to do and to get these amazing results is just like so cool. Totally. Absolutely. I agree with you. Well, Rachel, this has been awesome and sharing your, your thoughts and your energy on just what it's like to be an executive coach. And uh, I'm just really honored to have you on my show. And and before we sign off, um, how can my listeners follow you on social media? Um, you, I mean, just under my name, you can follow my personal account. Um, I don't do tons on social media. And then I have obviously, I had my own consulting firm and still keep a select roster of clients um, outside of my PAX work. And so that is at thecatalyst.io. You can, there's a website there. You can find me on LinkedIn where I post most of my stuff. Um, and hopefully you can get access to it that way. But at the end of the day, your listeners are always welcome to reach out with any questions or if they'd like to have an exploratory conversation or just learn more about something that I've shared today. Beautiful. Well, there you have it. Listeners, reach out to Rachel. She's incredible. I've sat down with her for hours and her just hit the ball back and forth on all sorts of topics and and, and, uh, and strategies. So if you guys are really interested to uh, pick her brain, um, take her up on it. Reach out to her. Again, Rachel, thank you so much. Um, awesome. Thank you, Grant. You bet. Yeah, you've been fantastic. Thanks for making me feel so comfortable. I love your show and your book. So I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.